I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Before we dive into today's episode, I have to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Onyx Brands. Today's episode is brought to you by Onyx Professionals. Their particular line, Love Ellie, it's a woman-owned professional beauty brand that produces convenient yet glamorous cosmetic bags and mirrors. They create things like tablet mirrors, shower mirrors, Bluetooth makeup bags. This brand is going to change your makeup game big time. My favorite cosmetic mirror from Love Ellie is the LED trifold mirror that was in stores this holiday season. I loved this mirror because it was so pretty and easy to use and it looks good like on my dresser. The LED lighting brightened my face to show a clearer reflection and the magnification allowed me to see those like tiny details I would normally have missed while getting ready. And if you're looking to up your skincare or makeup game this year, Love Ellie Mirrors and Cosmetic Bags are a really great place to start. You can find them at Walmart stores or online at walmart.com. I'll make sure to link to my favorite ones in today's show notes so that you can join me in getting really cozy with your pores this new year. Thank you, Onyx Brands, for bringing us today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are talking with Tyler McCall. Tyler helps entrepreneurs to start, grow, and scale their online businesses with his program, Follower to Fan Society. It's the mecca for Instagram marketing education, and he's the creator of the Online Business Association, the first ever association for online entrepreneurs. Tyler is also my best friend, a Target and reality TV enthusiast, and an Enneagram 3. Tyler, welcome to the show. Oh my God, I made it. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy I'm here too. Mainly as an excuse to get to talk to you since I haven't seen you in 12 months. And I, I know every it took minute us like, of it. Me too. It took us 20 minutes to just hit record because I was too excited. <laughs> well, we had stuff to catch up on. You know, we're still living in this whole COVID life and it's very unfair. We don't get to see each other all the time like we used to. I know. I, um, you know, it's, we moved to the same town. Yes. And um, we were supposed to see each other every single day f- until we had to move again. And <laughs> and then we got an office together where we would work together every yeah. single day. And then we had to move out of that. So what a year. No, something's conspiring to keep us apart. I don't like it. Me either. Not a fan. <laughs> and that is what 2020 has been about is our friendship. <laughs> exactly you may have heard other things in the media but this is what 2020 <laughs> is really about <laughs> jk um so tyler can you tell us today what is your rosebud and thorn okay so the rose in my life right now is having a really clear plan of action for my business for the next six months mm-hmm. um you know, I like kind of went into 2020 with all these like grand dreams and hopes of what my business and my life would be like. And then by April, it had all gone to shit. Can I say <laughs> bad words? Yeah, you can say shit. Okay. Um, and, and so I kind of had to regroup from there. And then the rest of the year was kind of like, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Like existential crisis all day, every day. So um, at the beginning of 2021, I'm excited because I have like a clear plan of attack for the next six months. Also, I didn't plan on my whole year because we saw how that worked out last time. So, 
that's yeah that's my rose um my bud right now is feeling like super optimistic about the next few months and about getting a covid vaccine stuck in my body um <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later and then getting on an airplane and going somewhere bless <laughs> i'm uh i hope that comes true and then my thorn ugh. What's my thorn right now? I think my thorn is like finding, you know what my thorn is? My thorn is finding ways to entertain myself that aren't watching TikTok for three hours a day. I mean, that is relatable. TikTok is a delight. <laughs> it's interesting. Like I, I just saw a post on Facebook today from someone who, and you know, she's a businessy person and it was like Netflix, two hours a night. Facebook or a, a social media two hours a day shopping online 30 minutes a day and then she added up like if you spend that much time every day it equals to this much every week which is this much every month which is this much every year and you could be working on all these other things instead of doing that and part of me is like yeah totally and part of me is also like yeah but I want to watch tv every night and I enjoy online shopping so maybe there's like a reframe in there but anyway I don't know I think <laughs> I was telling um, my husband, Eric, recently, who's also been on your podcast at this point or is coming up soon, possibly. He's coming up soon, yeah. Um, I was telling him the other day, I was like, I want to be a reader. I want to be a magazine reader. I want to be one of those people that gets the newspaper every morning and reads it. But also, I've said that about myself for over a decade now, and I'm still not that kind of person. Mm. So, I don't know. That's my thorn. I'm having an identity crisis, but who isn't? No, I love this because... That even that infographic is such a trigger for threes, mm, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, look, like, look, look at how much more you could be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I'm like, y'all, I already do enough. <laughs> yeah, which I feel like that's growth. That's true. That does feel like growth to me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you feel like you've always been confident in being able to say, like, I'm already doing enough, or is that new? That's new. That's fair. That's um, that's like in the past twelve months that that growth happened for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Like, I mean, obviously we have a good guess as to kind of how that could have started, but like, what has been your internal process with that? Of like, okay, I'm being forced to to achieve less. I think, um, well, 2020, you know, for everyone, I just hope, mm -hmm. I just hope that like people can find the, I don't want to say find the good in 2020 because that, that's incredibly privileged, but can mm -hmm. find like, I don't know, like the, the lessons, like I know I've learned a lot uh, mm -hmm. from 2020. And for me, it was like a forced slowdown in my life. I mean, I went from the year before 2019, like growing my business rapidly, like scaling my business to a million dollars, hiring employees, traveling. I mean, I spent, I want to say like 26 or 27 weeks of the year traveling in 2019, mm -hmm. bought a house, got married, did mm -hmm. all the things to 2020, like having a similar kind of year planned out and like going, going, going. The I was gone like the first six weeks of the year to then coming home and being at home and not doing anything or going anywhere for the next nine months. And for me, that like forced slowdown, it just caused me to reevaluate everything. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending my time on this? 
do I actually want to be doing this? Do I actually want to travel as much as I've been traveling? Do I actually want to listen to these people that I've been listening to? Do I actually want to have my business set up this way? So mm-hmm. it just allowed me to question a lot of things and like strip away a lot of the BS, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get really focused on like what I really wanted to be focused on and what I really wanted to be known for too. Mm-hmm. Like, like thinking a lot more about legacy and impact and those types of things. So I don't know, maybe like being in touch with my bigger purpose as well. Um, yeah. I think all of that has like helped me grow. And I honestly, I attribute that to like the force to slow down in my life, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Yeah. I mean, so in people who have listened to this podcast have probably heard me make this analogy a thousand times, but I think it's relevant to what we're talking about, which is that a lot of times for our threes, right, there's this mountaintop that you're like working toward and you're like, okay, when I get to that mountaintop, then I'm going to feel good. And so you like, you, you like create, you walk this like awful terrain of just like stress and like frustration and pushing through, but you're going to get to the top of the mountain. And when you get to the top of the mountain, it's going to feel good. And you get to the top of the mountain and then you look off in the distance and there's another mountain that has a higher peak that has like much more exciting rewards. And so then you keep climbing and the whole time you're like forgetting to realize like, oh, this journey, like the walk up the mountain is my life. <laughs> and I'm never like pausing to in- enjoy the reward. Yeah. I love that illustration. And I, I definitely had those moments over the past year of realizing like, oh, the destination I'm headed for isn't really somewhere I'm heading. Like the destination is right here. It's been here all along. Or if I have my eyes so fixed on the destination, I'm going to miss like all the beautiful things I'm walking by on the way to get there. And, and, um, and, and part of it for me, like was kind of a money thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I, in 2019, I was so like obsessed with the money I was making in my business, trying to get to a million dollars, having a high profit margin, like, you know, making like all of this money. I mean, I want to say, and it's, I don't know if it may be weird for your listeners to kind of hear this money talk, but like coming from the online business world, like it's something that I'm accustomed to. And, you know, we talk a lot about and that had kind of been my thing, like what I was thinking about, not like the money at the sake of people. Like I wasn't prioritizing Mm -hmm. that. Like I wasn't being like shady online, but Mm -hmm. that was where my focus was. And then 2020, like I didn't make as much money as I did the year before. I lost money. I didn't have a profitable year in business. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I feel better (laughs) even with that than I do from the year before. And I was telling my, my team recently that like we, that in 2020, like we acted like a million dollar business, but we didn't achieve a million dollars in revenue. Mm -hmm. Whereas in 2019, like we achieved a million dollars in revenue, but we weren't acting like the kind of business that, kind of like could create that kind of revenue. And for me, I think it is kind of that growth of like, I would much rather show up in my business professionally, like as a team, as a leader, acting like someone that's kind of working toward these big goals than just achieving the goal for the sake of achieving the goal. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, like, I think there's something so powerful to you saying like, I lost money this year because I think that that's, first of all, it's normalizing business. Like businesses aren't profitable every year. Um, And it's also showing 
your growth, like not you, I'm not saying like you, Tyler, as in me knowing you are entire adult lives, but more so like Enneagram three, like that's a really hard thing to do in, in average to unhealthy states to be like, here's where I'm struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been thinking more professionally, about, which also this is like, LOL, like laugh out loud that the conversation with the Enneagram three is about business and professional stuff. Like God, like what a freaking, like, I don't know. It's just so annoying, like such a stereotype, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but I've been thinking more of my business about mastery than about like, I don't know what the opposite of that is. I, I guess like dabbling maybe like I want to be, I was just thinking the other day because I've been reading more and more about like successful business. And one of the things I read was saying that, you know, really successful businesses with very healthy culture and team dynamics uh, create a culture of feedback where there's consistent requests for feedback. And then there's also consistent um, uh, like taking of the feedback and making changes based on the feedback. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's so smart. I love that. And then that caused me to think about like what it's also funny how like the universe or God or whoever's out there like listening and coordinating this life for us like mm -hmm. also like gives us those opportunities because I was reading about that and then thinking how can I create a culture of feedback in my company am I being receptive to feedback are my employees receptive to feedback how we can only perfect our products if we take in feedback and critique and criticism to improve it and then Sarah Jane case like <laughs> the next day I get an email from a client from over a year ago saying, hey, you haven't heard from me in over a year, but I want to let you know I was really disappointed in this experience I had with you. Um, I I didn't appreciate this program I was a part of. Uh, these are all the things you did wrong. If you're open to more feedback from me, let me know. I'd be happy wow. to share. And I said, of course, I'd be open to more feedback from you. Let's get on the phone. Let's get on the phone. And got on the phone with that client and just allowed them to give me all the feedback. Wow. And like took ownership of the ways in which I had not served that client or where I had overpromised or where I had been overcommitted in my in other areas of my business so I couldn't support mm -hmm. that client. And also understanding from that client, like for them, it was just there was a practice for them of like speaking up <laughs> for something for for themselves, like something they had been working on. And it was yeah. the most beneficial conversation. But a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to hear that. Right, right. Well, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think for a lot of times for threes, it's, it's difficult to take feedback because you're already working so hard. And yeah. so you're trying your best to be the best at every single thing in your life and something's got to give somewhere. And yeah. so when you feel it's almost like a reminder of how much more there is to do, um, yeah. is that feel accurate? For it, you, it does feel accurate, and the realization, and because this is something I've always thought about, is like I know when I'm spread too thin and when I'm not doing as well as I could in areas of my life, I'm aware of that. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm blissfully unaware of where mm -hmm. I could be doing better. I've mm -hmm. always found it so. I've always found it so funny in my life. I'm like, how do people not realize that, like? they could have done that differently or they could have done oh. that better or, you know, like how do people, like, I have always, I've always thought like, I would love to go through life just like unaware of 
ways in which I could be better or do things differently or Mm -hmm. unaware of like the impact that I create when I say or do something like that would be so incredible. Um, So it's, yeah, I think it's true. And it's like, not only does that feedback like point out where you could have been doing more or point out where you're like, weren't enough, but also like, for me, like I was, whenever this client reached out and said all these things, I totally agreed with everything they said Mm -hmm. because I knew it was all true. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't anything to argue with them. Yeah. You know, I've had like similar experiences. I'm revamping my online community right now, ask for feedback. Um, And I agreed with everything that was said, but it doesn't make it hurt less. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yes. Like it, it is. It's like, yeah, you're right. This is great. I'm going to take it. I'm going to move forward. And ow, ouch. Yeah. But I think like the growth part for both of us or for anyone is like mm-hmm. being at a place where you can understand where it hurts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's Tell not me more. like it. I, I've, I've said for so long about like business and marketing and, and I think this is true now more than ever, like <laughs> business takes, especially online business or personal brands, like, or entrepreneurship, it takes so much maturity mm-hmm. and it takes so much, it requires you to master the art of like filtering what is valuable and what's not valuable. And I think when there's feedback or input or anything like that, it's understanding that that isn't attacking your worth as a human. I say this a lot with regard to money or like having a launch or promotion, like, or even content on social media. Like if your content doesn't perform as well as you hoped, or your promotion doesn't go as well as you had planned on it going, that's not an attack on you and your worthiness as a human. Mm -hmm. And like, you're still inherently worthy of love and success and happiness and anything and everything you ever want in life. And at the same time, you could do things differently or do things better or have more of a plan or have more of a strategy, or you could learn more skills to achieve the things you're working toward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like, like I'm hearing so much Enneagram in this. So I'm not, I don't, and this is an Enneagram podcast. I was you, normally when we're in conversation, I say, do you care if I Enneagram on this? But I can Enneagram on this. <laughs> Please. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing. Um, but yeah, but I hear so much of the three language in that because the three fear is worthlessness um, and not being worthy. And so much of, you, you know, that type structure is built around kind of proving worth and earning worth. And, and so I hear you kind of giving the language of like, kind of soothing others in the language of how you soothe yourself. Um, And I think what you asked earlier is like noticing like where it hurts. And I think it makes sense that like in feedback, our basic fear is often triggered and it really isn't about us. It's about this thing we thought we had to be the whole time that we actually don't have to be. Yeah, that's so good. I like that Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm. Um, so in that you've, you know, you found yourself in this new year, you've kind of taken on like a whole new approach to your life and to your business. Um, what do you crave out of life now? Like, what do you want moving forward? Hmm. 
Just asking the big questions over here. <laughs> what do you want out of your entire life? <laughs> no big deal. Um, <laughs> I want, <laughs> this is interesting because Eric and I have been talking about this so much lately. Um, Cause he and I both, I guess maybe I, I shouldn't speak for him, but like, I realized that I've been doing a lot of chasing and running the past few years, like thinking mm-hmm. that, which is, you know, very, I think it's typically human and typically three of like, well, as soon as I get this thing or have this thing, or I'm, as soon as I'm in this like physical location, mm-hmm. I will feel this physical state. Um, and I think what I'm really craving out of life right now is deeper connection with myself and understanding what it is that I'm really after, what I really want, what I really need. Um, understanding the ways in which I may be numb parts of what I need, why I choose the way I choose to numb that, and how I can build maybe a healthier coping mechanism. Um so I think I'm, I, I'm like really craving more personal growth and mm-hmm. more personal connection. I'm craving therapy. <laughs> I haven't oh, had that in a long time. Um, and I'm craving just more spaciousness in my life. 2020, my like word of the year was spaciousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I got it. You got that. <laughs> <laughs> so I continue to crave that. And I'm craving like, when I'm doing my work, I want to do the things that light me up and excite me Mm. and like the things that I'm the best at and really figuring out, like really asking myself, what are those things? You know, like every single task I do, like in my day, like from a professional point of view, like really taking a moment to think like, do I enjoy this? Yes or no? What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy about it? What do I not enjoy about it? Do I want to do more of this? Would I rather do less of this? Um, and just having that conversation with myself. Yeah. Do you have a hard time distinguishing between what you enjoy and what you're good at? Like sussing out? Yes. Yes, I do. And I think that is... Well, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm good at a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, but I I also know, and like business helped me realize this, but I think it's present in other areas of my life. Like business helped me realize, you know, entrepreneurship. And you and I have both been on this journey mm-hmm. for so long. You've been on it like twice as long as I have. And you you have to get good at things, even if you don't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Like there is a, there is a, it's required for you to figure out how to do it. And then if you want it done well, you have to get to some level of proficiency, maybe mastery, but you at least have to be proficient at it. But as your business grows and evolves and as evolves and as you change and as you get support in your business, like you have to also let those things go and you have to let someone else either be good at it initially or be bad at it first until they learn how to be good at it. And just because in business in particular, like just because you are good at something like that, being good at it just comes out of like necessity, mm-hmm. not necessarily out of desire. And I think there's lots, there's probably other things in my life that are like that. Like 
out of necessity, I'm good at this or out of necessity, I can like, uh, like think my way around this or out of necessity, I can be okay with this, but like, am I really okay with it? Am I really good at this? Is that really what I think? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I heard a three describe it to me one time, like you're kind of like, uh, you step on the escalator and you're like, we're going up and I'm going to go up and you, and you forget to check and make sure you're like on the right escalator. Yes. Oh yes. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if like more threes end up and like, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It's like, is this the human condition or can this be enneagrammed? I'm sure it's both, but like do more threes maybe end up like, in relationships that they aren't that happy with just because it's like it, it has appearances on the outside or in careers they're not that happy with because it has the appearance of the successful career or you know mm-hmm. like having hobbies that they're not that interested in <laughs> or or yeah. things they spend their time doing just because it's like the appearance of well I'm, I'm achieving if I have this or is there like I'm curious like which Enneagram types end up having like the most debt or the most like Mm -hmm. the most dissatisfaction with things in their life. I don't know. It's so interesting, but yeah, no, I think you're onto something because, um, our, I think I, the three, six, nine is kind of like this identity triangle and they all struggle to really know themselves outside of whatever the circumstance. So for threes, it's how, who am I outside of what I can achieve for sixes? It's who am I outside of this like group that I am orienting myself with or my authority figure. Um, And then for nines, it's, you know, who am I? Because I've, who am I outside of who I'm around or who I've let be louder than me? Um, So I think that that's definitely very prevalent, especially for those three. I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of, that was like a question I was having all year. It's like, especially, you know, in 2020, like, and I talked, I've talked about this on my podcast and like on my social channels and stuff like that. Like 2020 was not only this kind of pause to like figure out things and do things differently, but like a major identity shift for me. Like I ended like a years long relationship with a mentor that had been a part of my life. I ended like a years long professional relationship uh, from like the business side that was helping us make money in our business. I, I, you know, ended up ending a ton of kind of friendships and relationships that had stemmed from that mentor. And I'm just kind of now existing in my business is like, okay, like who am I now? Like, it's like, I don't have, I don't have this, this person that's kind of like, vouching for me and also I don't have like this kind of person that I can say you like yes I'm aligned with them and because of that I'm like borrowing their authority and you should trust me because I'm aligned with this person or like I was mentored by this person and it just kind of left me in this place of like who am I in the grand scheme of things like who is Tyler J McCall what is he doing on this planet what legacy does he want to leave and why am I even doing this? Yeah. <laughs> like spending my whole day doing these things. Like, do I even want to be spending my days doing these things? I still don't have an answer to that, but I don't know if I ever will either. Yeah, but you're, <laughs> you're asking the right question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, and I think in that act of, you know, and we won't go into the details of the, of what that was, but sure. I, I know that you like chose your 
values yeah over um which you're welcome to talk about your values it's it's more your privacy versus my need to hide not talk about things but um yeah but i mean you chose your values over your perceived success which is again like just another one of those signifiers of like okay you're doing you're on the growth journey um was that i mean how hard was that it was really hard i mean i you know, a decision I made in the summer of 2020 to like walk away from this relationship with a mentor, walk away from, we had an, we had an affiliate business relationship where I would promote their products to my community and then they would give me a portion of what they were paid by my community. And I mean, Sarah Jane, like that, we, we walked away from over like a quarter of a million dollars in revenue because of that mm-hmm. affiliate relationship. So from like, a business perspective, it was very hard. From a financial perspective, it was very difficult. It caused a lot. It was a huge decision that caused a lot of stress and kind of um, uncertainty in my business for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from an identity perspective, it was very difficult. But like looking at it now and talking about it in that way, like, yes, all those things were reasons that kind of made it difficult. But at the same time, like making the decision to walk away wasn't difficult. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. It's like the 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 repercussions of that decision, maybe they were difficult to like understand or process or 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 figure out how they would impact things. But deciding to say, you know what, no, I'm not doing this. I'm done. I'm pulling away. I'm ending this relationship. And then going on to talk publicly about the end of that relationship um, was, it was not difficult. It was, it was easy to do because it was from a values perspective. Mm -hmm. Can I ask like when, like what values for you trump success? Um, that's a good question. I would say the values of integrity, um, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and, 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 and if you find yourself in a place where you can't do what you say you're going to do, you own up to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, standing by what you say, and if you are unable to stand by what you're what you say, then uh, or if you say something wrong, then being able to stand by an apology for what you said that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, ownership is huge for me. Like ownership, and and this is like a core value in our business. It's important for me in relationships. Is like I'm gonna do my best to own my shit in this in this mm-hmm. moment. And I need you to do your best to own your part as well. And um, if there's ever any like kind of like trying to put that off on someone else or something else, like I don't, I'm not really interested in that. Like Mm -hmm. the ownership is important to me. And then um, equity and inclusion is really important as well. And like doing it meaning, like meaningfully, not just for vanity, not just for 
the optics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of this, the, the reason that it's kind of the, the beginning of the end of this, this relationship with this mentor and this, this business partner, this business relationship was because, uh, this person was saying one thing publicly with regards to black lives matter and racial justice, mm-hmm. and then behind the scenes thinking and saying and doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was part of it too. Also, like, you know, not being, like, a COVID denier is probably important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not yeah. being into, like, you know, crazy conspiracy theories. Like, that stuff's important, too. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think something you've touched on, we've it's kind of been a thread throughout what we've discussed today is, you know, being able to receive feedback. and And I think that that's something that when I see someone who is being called out or called in um, or brought, you know, brought attention to something that's not working or something that's hurtful, um, how they choose to respond to that is so important. And I think, I think what you said, like when you can own what you bring to the table, it creates safety for everyone who interacts with you. And I, and that's something that I say about you all the time. Like even talking to my therapists, you know, I'll be like, well, my friend Tyler, he and I have a really healthy relationship because we both know we're messed up. (laughs) So if you, if you come to me with anything and you're like, Hey, you did this thing. I'll be like, Oh yeah, probably. It sounds like me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like I know. And, and I think that's the safety that you offer, offer me as a friend and I think that on a grander scale, it's the safety that you offer your community and marginalized people. And, you know, like when you, if something's brought to your attention and you're willing to look at it and own it, well, that creates an environment around you where it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be able to get through this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think that is like, I also think that that's part of like surrounding yourself with people who are on some kind of like self discovery or self improvement or, or personal growth journey. Like that's what that affords you is being in connection or relationship or taking it back to the, our good old Christian days, being in fellowship. Um, um, as you and I are both, uh, recovering Baptists. Um, (laughs) but, uh, like, you know, being in relationship with people that are, doing that work and, and doing it in whatever way is right for them. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can very quickly like three out on that and be like, who are doing it this way or who are doing it better than it's not, I don't mm-hmm. think that's what it is. It's just like, are doing it some way, like asking the questions or reading the books or having the conversations or like mm-hmm. just questioning. Like, I think so much of like growth is like questioning your initial response to something. Yeah, (laughs) like taking a beat before you respond to whatever and just like taking a breath and saying like wait how am I going to respond now like what is this response why am I responding this way you know like that's the growth stuff and like having relationships with people that are doing that too creates a lot more valuable relationships and also like healthier relationships and people you actually want to be around because you and I both like have you know people in our lives who don't do that, who are operating completely on autopilot. And I don't want to speak for you. Yeah. It's very unsafe. And you kind of see like the, you know, like the trail of shit they leave behind them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I think you really nailed the Enneagram there when you're like, question your first response because that's kind of the whole deal is like, we have this one specific way that we've learned to survive and we, it, and it's just kind of this opportunity for us to choose a new way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for threes, like it's really important for us to practice presence as much as possible and like grounding and mindfulness and whatever that looks like for you. Because if, if we're not doing that, it's very easy for us to be operating on autopilot toward the achievement. Mm -hmm. And then you look back and not only do you look back and realize that like, there were a lot of beautiful things that you missed on your way up to the mountain. And then you look forward and you see another peak that's even higher. So you're like, Oh shit, I have to do this all over again. So not only are you like feeling like not enough because you still have so far to go. And then not only are you feeling like guilty because you missed all the stuff on the way to get to this peak, you also probably left a mess behind you, like Mm -hmm. a mess in like relationships, a mess and reputation, a mess and, just time that you spent, you know, like you and I both have experienced, you know, sudden loss of people in our lives. And for me, like that was the moment I was like, oh, wow, like time is a limited resource. I cannot create more time. Mm -hmm. I should be incredibly conscious of how I spend my time now and not, and not to the extent of like, and because of that, I'm going to do even more to achieve even more in a quicker amount of time. It was like, no, I'm going to slow down and enjoy my life more. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because there is no, there is no like peak. There is no like graduation. There is no end. Mm-hmm. Do you care if, um, kind of for our last little thing, you, we, we talk a little bit about that. Are you comfortable with that? Of course. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, you know, a loss and, and how that changed your relationship to work. What is that? What was that? Yeah. So in 2017, um, my father died very suddenly, um, and incredibly unexpectedly. He had a brief illness, that we thought was better. And then um, a few weeks or just a week after a major um, spinal cord surgery, he died on the kitchen floor in my childhood home. Um, And I suffered immense post-traumatic stress disorder following his death um, and had to be in some really, you know, extensive grief recovery for a a couple of years after his death. And, you know, that whole experience just, it it completely changed my life. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to him, um, that, that I was able to make a decision about what I wanted my life to be like, um, from that moment. Um, but, and, and I've talked about this before with my community, but one of the one of the last conversations I had with my father was uh, several months before he died and um, he was in the hospital at the time and my dad started working at 11 years old. Uh, he grew up in an abusive family with an abusive alcoholic father. He was one of five sons. Uh, my grandfather had a family sawmill where my father and all of his brothers worked their childhood Um My dad started when he was 11. At the age of 18, he left home with everything he owned and a couple of plastic grocery bags. Um, And he and my mom moved into a trailer together. And for most of my childhood, he worked whatever job he could find to provide for his family. But we always had what we needed, but we very rarely had what we wanted growing up. 
and my dad was a worker. And even later in life, as he and my mom kind of found some stability after my brother and I got older and graduated high school, he would still work his, his, uh, you know, nine to five, uh, city state job. And then, which was a physical job. And then he would come home and work on our family farm until the sunset every night. He only took time off on Sunday to either go to church or watch NASCAR. Like that was it. Mm -hmm. So he was a worker. And, one of the final conversations we had, he said, you know, T-Bear, T-Bear is the nickname that my parents have for me. He said, you know, T-Bear, I'm so ready for all this to be over so your mom and I can finally take the time to kind of do the things we've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. He said, I want to stop working all the time just to buy things to help with work around the farm. I want to go to the races with your mom. He's like, we've been talking. We've always wanted to own a little camper and go to the races on the weekends and go around and go to the beach more and things like that. So I just can't wait for all this to be over so mm-hmm. I can do that. And then a few months later, um, he was gone. He was 55 years old. Yeah. He's too young. And mm-hmm. I just thought after that, that after his death, I said, I, I never, I never want to reach a point in my life where I'm planning on something being over so then I can start living my life because mm-hmm. the very real reality is when you find yourself in those moments of, well, as soon as this is over, I'll start doing this. You, you may not make it to the other side of that thing being over. Mm. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was a game changer for me. Yeah. I, I have like really fond memories of your dad and mm-hmm. One, but everyone he's work he's working on something like every single one like his hands were never still. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, he was a good one. He. It's also interesting, which I don't know if you're navigating this or how much you've talked about this with your community, but also like mm-hmm. I, I that first year for me was like the shock of his death and then navigating the grief and working through the PTSD and then. Um, from there it was, um, kind of the next thing for me was like starting to parse out the, the, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, trying to parse out the version of my father that I had grieved versus the reality of the version of who he was. Yeah. Oh God, Sarah Jane, that's, that is tough. It is. It is. It's, do you. I, you know, you, I, I think my community is pretty well aware. I mean, they know my dad passed and I think they know he committed suicide. They do now. Um, and if you're on Instagram, you know, like my dad wasn't like a dad, like you want a dad to be. Um, and I think that that it is like harder in its own way because the hope is gone. Yes. Yeah, I know you and I have talked a lot about this mm-hmm. and, and you know, having people in our life that suffer from personality disorders mm-hmm. and how, you know, a part of navigating relationships with people with personality disorders is that you have to preemptively grieve the final moment with that person that you'll never get. Like the mm-hmm. final apology you'll get from that person will actually never come. Mm-hmm. And you have to and when you become aware of that, and if you're listening to this and like you're living and someone in your life has personality disorder and you, you've, you, you understand that, you know, that 
the moment you're waiting for that deathbed moment with that person where they apologize for all the harm the harm they've caused will actually you'll actually never get that mm-hmm. um and and that's really hard to like grieve that preemptively when you become aware but then still try to determine like what is your what is your risk tolerance with maintaining a relationship with that person? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that too, with what you're saying about losing your dad and even losing my dad, you know, my dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship growing up as a queer man in the South. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he didn't really understand who I was as a queer person. And there was lots of love there, but there was also lots of pain and lots of abuse and lots of violence. And it's like, how do I parse out and appreciate and grieve who you really were versus this kind of vision of who I have that you were versus the ideal of what you could have been, but you never were. Yeah. And you're kind of grieving all of them. Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. Like, because it, it, as the person grieving, you know, it's like, well, you feel guilty for acknowledging the truth. Yeah. Because there's like this whole idea of like, oh, you're supposed to just honor the dead. Um, But there's also like, yeah, but we have to, the grief can't be honest until we're honest with ourselves about what it is. Oh, yeah. And especially when you're in, you know, maybe in families or in groups that's grieving this person. I know this has been my experience Mm -hmm. and I don't know if this is a Southern thing. I don't know if this is like you know, it comes from like our experience with Christian or my experience, excuse me, with Christianity, but like mm-hmm. this idea of like, yeah, you can't speak ill of the dead. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't talk. I haven't even, I haven't talked with my mother and my brother about these things. Um, right. But I also think that when you're on some kind of journey to be your be- the best version of yourself, when you're doing some of the work around, development or, or, or personal growth or whatever it may be. Like you can't, you can't do your work without, at least this is my my experience. I should speak for myself. Like I can't do my work without understanding the impact that someone who didn't do their work has had on my life. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like doing my work requires me to not only understand their impact, but also understand their impact with love and empathy and understand that they were just doing the best they did with what they had at the time. Mm-hmm. But also that doesn't excuse <laughs> any of the, any of the, the pain that I, or trauma that I experienced from that person. And at the same time, I have to navigate understanding like how that all integrates with who I am today. Mm-hmm. And it is this like layered thing, but I think, like you said, until we can do it, until you can do it honestly, you Mm -hmm. can't, it's really difficult to move forward. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question about, you know, how, how do you think the three in you, let, you know, I, I, I'm trying really hard to separate you from the three. Um, (laughs) You are not a three. You use the tactic of type three. Um, how, what do you think the tactic of type three had to prove to your parents? Um, it had to prove that I could be more, have more and do more 
than they were capable of. Mm-hmm. And and part of that comes, I think it's very layered. I think part of that comes from growing up in a financially insecure home mm-hmm. and then wanting financial security and financial success for myself. Um, part of that comes from being the first person in my family to go to college, but also having to navigate that on my own because my parents weren't equipped to help me in that way financially or emotionally or strategically. So not only did I have to figure out how to get in, but how to pay for it and then how to be successful in college. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it was, you know, staying closeted until I was 25 years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because that didn't really fit into the idea of, you know, a- achieving or like being kind of this, this idea that they had for me. Um, and I grew up in a home where my younger brother could never live up to my, to the standard that I had set, mm-hmm. you know, at school and relationships, success, whatever it may have been, um, so I was, and I was the first grandchild in the family, you know, it's kind of like all these factors conspire, first grandchild on both sides of the family. So all these factors conspire to be like, Tyler's our, Tyler's our hope. Yeah. Oof. And my dad, my dad spent so much of my childhood trying to live vicariously through me. For example, um, as I said, my dad started working when he was 11 years old and all he ever wanted to do was play football. And he was a big guy. All of his brothers are big. I'm a big guy. So a big person, excuse me. Um, and so all he ever wanted to do was play football and he was never allowed to or able to. So as soon as I was old enough, I was on the football field. Like that was the vision he had for me. And y'all, my fat gay ass was not made to play football. Okay. So that lasted about two weeks. But Sarah Jane, I remember like how deeply heartbroken and disappointed he was mm. that his oldest son couldn't make it on the football field. Uh, and my, my little brother was a football player from his childhood all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was so, he was just so like enthralled with my brother being on the football team and what that was and being a football dad and all that kind of stuff. Um, but his oldest son couldn't cut it. Mm-hmm. So there were, there were lots of ways in which he tried to kind of create this experience through me that he never got. Mm-hmm. But then he was also, he was also incredibly proud of me. Like I went to college, I had a full tuition scholar an academic scholarship. Like he had so much to brag about with me. Yeah. Um, and then I think coming out, you know, definitely kind of shattered a lot of those ideas as well. So. Lots of things. Oh, Sarah Jane, you got me going. Sorry, we went deep. Daddy daddy drama on the podcast today. Jeez. Um, You know, I, I am going to, I'm going to move us into rapid fire questions. So it's like a funny um, switch over, but I know, I think I love when conversations take their own turn because I just know there are people out there who need this, you know, who needed, who've gone through stuff like this or are going through something like this. And it's just, it's good to feel seen in, in someone else's experience. And it means yeah. a lot that you went there. Well, thanks. Wait, this is going out into the public. I thought this was just me and you. <laughs> We're not just <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> this isn't Zoom. I will say I, um, 
I recorded a podcast the other day for my show with my friend Paul Fishman. Do you know Paul? Do you follow him? Um, I know him through you. I'm familiar. Yeah. So Paul's a self-love coach and a you-do-you activist, and I love him. He's an incredible human. Um, and at the end of our conversation, we were talking all about trusting yourself and your business and self-love and self-care and all these ideas. But Paul said, um, if you've listened to this podcast, then it was meant for you. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to just like reassure people that um, the time you spent listening was time well spent and whatever you got out of this conversation was what you were meant to get out of it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Dang. Yeah. Can I ask you some rapid fire questions? Oh my God, please. I can't wait. I have no idea what to expect. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Rapid fire question number one. The first book that comes to mind. Oh, um, Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Mm. Um, a favorite song. Um, oh, um, I love, oh, wait, 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 Sarah Jane, wait, it's, um, <laughs> um, Waterloo by ABBA. I love that song. Ooh, it's such a earworm. Yeah, it's so catchy. I've secretly, after every interview, um, been going home listening to the song of the person who tells me their song. Um, so I get to listen to Waterloo tonight, which is really exciting. Okay. I love this. Also, Enneagram and Coffee Spotify playlist, please. Thank you. Oh, you always make me better. Um, <laughs> something you wish people knew about you. Um, that I'm actually an adult child and I could eat chicken strips and french fries for every meal for the rest of my life. <laughs> All that honey mustard. All of it, please. <laughs> um, dream day, pre or post COVID, what are you doing? Dream day, I'm waking up at a gorgeous house in Palm Springs, California. My husband's there. You are there. Your husband is there. A few other select friends and people I love are there. Uh, we're having mimosas. We're having a big, fabulous brunch. Uh, then we are eating an edible and getting in the pool for the rest of the day <laughs> and then ordering takeout. Yep. Oh, that's a good one. Maybe watching a movie piled on a huge sofa from Restoration Hardware oh, living our best lives that night. Yeah. Maybe a little sunburnt, maybe a little bit like, you know, like how the pre hangover kind of starts the night before, mm-hmm. like we may be there, but it would be well worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to be there now. <laughs> Me too. A final meal. What are you eating? Oh, I'm having um, my my late grandmother, my mom, Alma calls chicken and dumplings with cream corn, mashed potatoes, and homemade biscuits. Yum. Yeah, it's a plate of yellow and carbs, and I love every bit of it. Is that the mamaw who you used to put fireflies in her hair at church? No, that was my nana. <laughs> <laughs> My mamaw was my dad's mom. Um, she dropped out of school when she was in seventh grade to take care of her siblings. And I knew her my entire childhood as barefoot, running around her house with no bra on. And she dipped snuff until the day that she died. Oh, my gosh. Minus the no snuff, she how, and I are the same. <laughs> no one knew how old she was either. She was a, she was a mystery. <laughs> but, um, so, Tyler, what is a little food for thought that you can share with people to kind of keep in their minds today? Oh, I would just remind you that uh, you're worthy as you are right now. You don't have to change anything about yourself. And it's way more important that you do what you say than you say things and not follow through on them. Um, and as the you know country song goes, if you 
can't stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. So Mm. get clear on what you stand for, stand up for it unapologetically, you know, forget everyone else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I love you so much and I know other people are falling in love with you too. So where can they find you online and get more of you? Well, thanks. I love you too. Uh, And thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, You can find me two places right now, wherever you're listening to this podcast, just search for the online business show. I have a weekly podcast where we talk about entrepreneurship. I share the stories of successful online business owners, answer our listener questions, and then have incredible how-to episodes about how to do things in your own business. And then I'm on Instagram every day of the week. Well, except for Friday through Sunday, because I don't social media on the weekends now, which I love. Um, but you can find me there at Tyler J. McCall. Send me a DM. Let me know you tuned in. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Tyler. You are the living best. Thanks, Sarah Jane. I love you. I miss you. Let's go to Palm Springs. Sweet.